guys. Welcome back to 30-something with Sunny. This is the podcast where we talk all things motherhood, self-care, and second chapters. Big changes people make. I noticed that after women have kids or other other big life changes um, that tend to happen in this period of life, this 30-something period, um, they come out with the most incredible stories. So we love to highlight women and people on this podcast who are in their second chapters in life, maybe third or fourth, but anyone who's made a big change and who is taking that and making a new purpose out of it. Today's guest is an author, and she is a mother herself, and her mission is also to inform other women out there. Leslie Ziegler-Schrock is the author of Bumpin', The Modern Guy to pregnancy, navigating the wild, weird, and wonderful journey from conception through birth and beyond. Leslie was so much fun to talk to, guys. This book is uh, just very good practical advice. It breaks it down into details from planning planning on getting pregnant, trying to get pregnant all the way through delivery and that wonderful fourth trimester postpartum period that we all like to talk about, which is, um, (laughs) turns out is just as difficult as the other trimesters. So anyway, this book is thorough to say the least. Leslie spent quite a bit of time interviewing over half a dozen medical experts and experts in their field of wellness and self-care and child delivery and birth. And she took all of that advice and put it into one handy dandy guide. And not only is she giving you the advice and the tips that those experts have, but she's also weaving in her own personal story to motherhood, which was not without challenges, serious challenges and very difficult periods. So I think you're going to enjoy if you pick up the book reading, um, not only the practical advice and takeaways you can get from it, but her own story to um, becoming a mom. And it's um, it's intense. Leslie was a joy to talk to. We laugh a lot. And <laughs> we had a few te- technical difficulties in the beginning of this episode. Like the, the podcast gods were not on my side <laughs> in getting this working in the beginning. So, um, but we got it. And after we started rolling, it was all good. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I will leave you with this one quick thing before we dive into the interview. Bumpin' is so great because I think we've all been handed the same book or the same, I don't know, two or three books when we get pregnant since like the 80s. And people are like, here you go. Here is what's going to happen when you're pregnant. But things have changed and we have all become, um, we've all become better sharers since a lot of those books first came out. And what I loved about Bumpin' is that it brings a lot of personality into an otherwise, um, you know, pretty serious topic, which is pregnancy and childbirth. You're going to love it when you pick it up. Again, it's called Bumpin'. Um, enjoy the interview with Leslie. I'll be on, back on the flip side to tell you more about where and when to pick up the book, but it is so good and it was such a pleasure to talk to Leslie. Again, this is Leslie Schrock, author of Bumpin'. All right, guys, here we go. Leslie is on the show right now. Leslie is the author of Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy, Navigating the Wild, Weird, and Wonderful Journey from Conception Through Birth and Beyond. Leslie, thank you for being here. Your book is is so thorough, and I love that you really take people through the experience of what it's like to try to have a baby, because as everybody knows, it's not just... Um, all of a sudden you get pregnant and nine months later there's a baby in your arms. So tell me what makes your book different from everything that's already out there? Yeah, I, you know, I did not have an easy time uh, getting, well, the getting pregnant was easy, but the keeping it was another story. Um, I really felt like none of the books out there necessarily spoke to me. Uh, They didn't cover the hard parts and they also didn't actually cover 
uh, the before and after of pregnancy. So, you know, everything kind of picks up like you're pregnant here. Here's how to deal with morning sickness. You know, this is how the baby is growing. And really, um, you know, my goal in writing this book was to write a guide for families that includes, you know, your partner. Uh, that really takes them through the whole process from the time that they decide to start a family all the way through the first few months postpartum, which, as you know, are a little weird and hairy and uh, really no one talks about. So everything from, you know, how do you actually get pregnant? Talking about ovulation, which I'm always surprised uh, that people, you know, don't actually understand uh, through, you know, how to plan for a baby financially, how to prepare your relationship. And, you know, every kind of, you know, bit and piece uh, that, that I could think of and, uh, you know, experienced personally and also researched. I did a lot of, you know, time in, in Reddit forums and, uh, you know, other apps and, and things that, you know, people use to, to talk about all of the things. So really, it's a combination of, you know, my personal experience, which is annotated throughout. And then, you know, everything that I was seeing from friends, the Internet, uh, you know, media, other books. Um, I own like 50 books on pregnancy now. Uh, mm -hmm. So I really just tried to both cover everything and only cover the things that are pretty universal for people or very, very common. Yeah, I love that you weaved your personal story throughout. And it, it like we said, it does take you through preconception to conception, pregnancy and beyond. And in every chapter and every stage, you're very uh, vulnerable and open about your own journey, which, as you said in the beginning of your book and, and alluded to in this interview, was not without challenges. I wondered if you could tell us about your experience actually, uh, you know, getting the baby that you dreamed of because it was not easy. It was not easy. And honestly, everything that could have gone wrong kind of went wrong. Um, you know, so it took three pregnancies to get my son here. Uh, the first was a, a fairly early miscarriage, uh, which was, you know, it was tough. Um, but once I started talking to friends, I realized that every single person I knew had had a miscarriage. Um, it's incredibly common. Uh, the second time was a little harder. Uh, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever gone through in my life, actually. Um, we found out um, at genetic testing that uh, we had trisomy 18, which is a fatal condition. Um, very few babies even make it to birth. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's a really terrible thing. And we knew from our ultrasound that unfortunately we had maybe a few weeks, possibly a month before um, it resulted in a stillbirth. And so, you know, although medically speaking, it was not viable um, and it was, you know, not so good for me to continue, uh, we had to make the call to terminate, which was really a decision that, uh, you know, terminating a wanted pregnancy uh, for for medical reasons was was not something that I ever expected to deal with. And so we went through that. And at that point, um, you know, my husband and I just kind of said, all right, we're going to just let go and we're going to let this be and we're going to do our best, but we're not in full control here. And we've got to just relax and give ourselves some space to grieve. And so we took about two months uh, and then we got pregnant with my son, and that was great. And my pregnancy actually was pretty easy, all things considered. Uh, but then, you know, birth came around, and absolutely nothing went according to plan. I ended up with a with a C-section, um, but he and I are both healthy, and you know, it was just kind of the most amazing. Hearing his first cry was kind of made the whole thing feel worth it. So, you know, mm. I didn't have the birth that I planned, but you know, you can't really plan for birth anyway. You can 
Right. You can do your best, but you know, it's just, it's not all up to you. Um, and I think that's hopefully a, a message that, you know, this book will help uh, other women who have similar experiences, uh, or even if you don't, uh, you know, understand that, that you can, you know, you can do everything right, quote, right. And, uh, you know, and things just, it's nature. Right, right. Yeah, I I was really, um, I just moved by how much you, you shared of your own experience. Um, the whole weaving in of the mental difficulties and the emotional difficulties of trying to get pregnant, keep a pregnancy and have a baby are a big part of this book. And I, I agree with you that that's something that not many uh, manuals on pregnancy or I don't know, manuals, but books on pregnancy cover. And um, for anyone else out there who um, is trying and, and maybe in the midst of realizing that lesson, because I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that is, to me, that's the biggest lesson of motherhood is that I'm not really actually in control. And it makes me, it makes me batty. I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be the one. But you, um, the, the underlying theme <laughs> is that, you know, it doesn't it though. You're like, oh my God. Um, the it's, underlying it's theme the best. though is, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. It, no, no, it's the best, it's the best preparation for parenting because that little human, man, they come out who they are and you can do your best and you can do everything in your power to like shape them. But you know, they are who they are. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's such a neat, it's such a neat thing, but yeah, you're not in control and it's good to prepare before they come out. Yeah, it is really. That's exact. I feel like we're soul sisters in that regard. People are like, what is your advice? I'm like, there is no advice. You're like, you're just in it, girl. Go for it. Um, what advice though do you have? Because uh, until you experience something, whether it's your miscarriage or the difficulty of realizing that you're not, that you're not in charge. And do you have any advice for moms who are, or women who are in the thick of it? Because it really can feel like the world is ending. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. I went through it twice. I went through birth, not going according to plan. Breastfeeding was a mess uh, for me because I was really anemic in the months after birth because my C-section was a little hairy. So um, I get it. I was, you know, disappointed, but ultimately very happy because I ended up with a healthy baby eventually. It took 16 months from the beginning of it. Um, but uh, you know, coping mechanisms for me, I have always um, really enjoyed being active. And so, you know, for me, it was making time as often as I could, even if it was just like a walk around the block or like in those last days, a waddle, um, just to get outside and just get some fresh air. Um, I have always been a huge advocate of therapy. Now, whether it's you go in person and you lay on someone's couch and you talk about your mother or whatever it is you want to talk about. Um, I think there's great power in asking and accepting help. And I think that's an easy way to get started. Um, I am the worst at that. Actually, I am the worst at asking for help. So it was kind mm -hmm. of a big deal for me. I think we all are. And in, in, it's like kind of a universal trait as a woman. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we're used to like taking care of stuff. And there are just some moments in life where you just need someone else's help. So one of the things that I'm a big advocate of is, is, you know, is therapy, whether in person or uh, telemedicine makes it possible to have on-demand options from anywhere. Um, you can do it by phone, by Skype, through an app, whatever, um, and really get that help and support that you need. So I think that that's a big one. And then, you know, I am very, very blessed to have wonderful friends and family who um, I had to learn to talk to uh, when things were not going my way. 
Um, so that was also great preparation for parenting because it's not a thing you can do by yourself. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my main, my main things. And it's, listen, like therapy, I think gets a bad rap because everyone just assumes, oh, well, it must be for depressed, mentally ill people. And that's just not true. It's great for life transitions. I think it's also really good if you and your partner want to talk about, uh, you know, who you want to show up, uh, as, as parents, uh, and talk about your relationship and how to communicate. I think that's a huge thing that no one talks about is that, especially for men, uh, you know, over 10% of men report postpartum depression. It's a huge transition for them as well. And I think that we do a very poor job of both integrating, you know, partners into the process of pregnancy in general, and also just kind of telling them what to do so that they feel useful and that they can support, you know, the birth parent as, uh, as best they can. And you, I guess you're not the only, definitely not the only one who's experienced this, but you, you do touch on, um, your mental state through, like I said, through conception and through your miscarriage and all that. If you were to advise anyone preparing physically for that time too, because I have some listeners who are just ready to sort of embark on this journey. Um, in, in addition to practical advice and things they should be doing to prepare their body um, would you suggest too that they like try to get into a certain mindset as far as like we said accepting uh, yes. what's to be will be? Is there even a way to really do that? You know, I've always been terrible at meditation. Uh, I try, but I'm just not not so good at it. I think exercise is kind of my my form of you know mindfulness and connecting to my body. Um, so that's kind of the way that I do it. But yeah, I mean, look, I think there are things that you can do to prepare your life and prepare your, your body and prepare mentally. I think that, you know, you can go to the doctor, get a preconception checkup, just make sure everything's kind of fine. Um, you can, you know, start to really eat in a clean way. You can eliminate all of the stuff that, you know, like if you're a smoker, like you should definitely stop even marijuana use, even CBD use. It's not really a thing you want to do during conception. So these are all just kind of small things that you can do uh, to help. But, you know, the best advice that I give to friends actually is like during conception, just really try not to obsess. It's so hard. I know what yeah. I'm saying right now is incredibly difficult, but you know, by the third time around, like Nick didn't even know when I was ovulating. I was just like, distraction city. You know, I wouldn't even tell him like, Hey, look, this is the money shot. We're going <laughs> to, this is probably the one, if it's going to take it, this is going to be the one. Um, I tried to stay busy doing other things so that I wouldn't obsess about it too much. And, uh, you know, and then I told, told Nick about it when it was, when it was a good, uh, when it was a go, but, um, you know, the first two times it was just very, uh, you know, I think for all of us, it gets a little bit like a job. Uh, it can, uh -huh. you know, especially if it's not, if it doesn't take the first time we got really lucky, it happened very fast for us. Uh, but even, you know, after doing it, doing it successfully twice and not having it work, uh, really, I found the most helpful thing was just to continue to live the rest of my life and really just not make it the focus of every single day. Yeah, that worked for us too. And I don't know why that's was the hardest thing to do. Like, you can take all the practical steps and things and, you know, I want to get into specifics as far as what you recommend for that stuff. But 
the hardest thing to do seems to be the simplest is just letting go. And I don't know what it is about, and I know that's not the case for everyone. I know that there are some things that preclude pregnancies in some situations, but I agree with you that letting, letting go a little bit um, does something. It did something for me where I, yep. it finally worked. And I, I wish there were more specific answer, but for me, and I'm hearing from you and from so many women that that tends to really help. So I know everybody wants to slap me across the face because I wanted to kill, (laughs) I wanted to like actually murder. I was like, why am I the only one not getting pregnant? So I know that that's, that's hard to hear. Um, what were your, I love getting specific on, um, things and, and products that you might recommend. I don't know what you can directly recommend per se, but if there was a prenatal pill or anything that you were doing in your diet in particular that you thought was helpful during preconception, could you share that with us? Yeah, you know, so I think there are a million diets, and I kind of wrote about this in the diet section, especially with pregnancy, because I started going down the the rabbit hole of like, okay, like, is there a pregnancy diet that is the diet? And even with preconception, um, you know, I think the basics apply. If it comes in a bag or a box, try to minimize it. Um, I'm not a fan of like the no carb at all thing, especially once you get pregnant. I think that's, you know, a really tough thing to maintain. But, you know, whole foods, things that come from the produce section, a really nice mix of vegetables, protein, you know, choline, fish and eggs are great. Um, Just, you know, kind of eat the way that you think you should eat anyway. Um, But don't beat yourself up too much either, because I think we have this obsession with doing it, quote unquote, right. And the reality is there is no right diet for everybody. Um, But I think it's a matter of like, try to do your best, eat as clean as you can, cut your alcohol consumption as much as you can. You know, a glass of wine here and there isn't going to kill you, but just try to keep it minimal. Um, You know, coffee, same thing. Like, actually, caffeine is fine as long as you don't drink too much of it. Um, So I think also making these kind of sweeping changes that feel so uh, important and can become so obsessive is another thing that we kind of do wrong during conception. Uh, I think that that's like that contributes to this mental state issue that I was talking about earlier, which is like, there is no right way. Lots of people who are unhealthy get pregnant too. You should just try to do your best to eat healthy foods. Um, So, you know, processed stuff is, is not a thing. Um, you know, and then I think also trying to find like some more peaceful, like preparing your body. One of the things that I'm sure we'll probably get into it later, but, um, one of the things that I think is really helpful is starting to understand, you know, your pelvic floor, which is not an area of the body that anyone ever talks about really, but over half of women uh, at some point struggle with pelvic floor dysfunction. And that can be anything from, you know, incontinence to pelvic organ prolapse, which is quite serious. And so, I think like a very tactical thing you can start to do is, you know, work exercises into kind of your life that help. And it's not just Kegels. Um, It's also, I actually outline a couple of really easy things uh, in the book. One of my favorite is the elevator. Uh, So we can, we can get into all of that later maybe, but um, I think that that's actually also a really important thing. It can help you have a much more um, pleasant and uh, successful pregnancy and then recover much more quickly too. What prenatal vitamin did you like? Because I hear some people say that there's made them nauseous. What worked for you? 
Yeah. So it's the iron and prenatal vitamins that usually does that. And, um, I, so I took like this crazy pack of vitamins and I actually don't really go into brands in the book just because what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everyone else, but anecdotally, and of one over here, um, I liked the Metagenics pack because it had omega threes. It had a choline boost. It was like five giant horse pills. Uh, so I took it every day. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was pretty intense, um, actually. But I, I liked it a lot because it just had the whole kitchen sink in there. Uh, there are lots of great brands. I think it's just really, you know, if you do struggle with nausea, uh, take it at night or take it with food. Uh, those are the those are the kinds of, of tricks. Take it right before you go to bed or take it, um, you know, take it with a meal. Uh, and that should help mitigate those effects. Let's talk about pregnancy itself. You have this great quote um, in the first trimester chapter where you say, sometimes pregnancy feels like an amazing magical cruise gliding toward the destination of your dreams. And other times it feels like a hijacking of your body, your mind and your freedom to which I said, <laughs> amen, sister. <laughs> it's just, it's like that sometimes it's dreams. Sometimes it's a nightmare. Um, what was your biggest physical challenge during pregnancy? Oh God. Um, acid reflux. Mm. It wasn't even a physical, I mean, the, on the physical side, like I had like a torpedo belly and my pelvis kept getting stuck. And so that was interesting. It's why I'm a big advocate of foam rolling and myofascial release, because there would just be days when like my body just would not turn in one direction, which was really bizarre. Oh, oh my uh, gosh. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I, you know, I had like a pinched nerve one time and my, my pelvis just was, I'm very, very flexible. And so it was very strange for me to have this kind of, you know, Hey, I can't turn. Um, but for me really like the biggest physical issue was, Oh my God, I had acid reflux from the beginning all the way through probably my first two weeks postpartum, um, which just meant it was really, really hard for me to eat any amount of food in, at one time, like I had to just eat small meals throughout the day and it was a struggle. Like there were lots of things I couldn't eat. Savory foods made me want to barf. Fish made me want to barf. And this is what I'm saying about the diet, especially once you get pregnant. I think you can read all these pregnancy diets in the end. Like, you know, I was waking up every day, having a few crackers. I was eating like a lot of carbs for a while, especially in the first trimester, um, the first two pregnancies, I was really nauseous. The third, thankfully, it was just the acid reflux mostly. But, um, you know, you just kind of have to do the best you can. And and the, the acid reflux for me both meant, you know, I didn't gain a ton. I gained like exactly the amount of weight my doctor wanted me to. And that's another thing. Like, I think not fixating on the amount of weight, just kind of listening to your body, eating a reasonable amount, not eating for two because it's a complete mess. Um, is, is kind of the way to go, but I did the best I could, but let's be honest, there were like days when all I was eating was like, you know, a bowl of oatmeal and maybe some fruit or something. Mm -hmm. Like it just was really hard for me because everything just wanted to kind of come up the other direction. (laughs) Did you ever try apple cider vinegar for that? Because I remember having just a very short bout of, of that, like acid reflux pregnant. And I tried that. I think it worked for me, but I can't, recall if that was like something I made up or if like, did you ever try that? No. no? Okay. I did. You know, I tried it all. I tried it all. It just, everyone's bodies are so different. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, this is another thing that I think that we're, 
Um, I tried apple cider vinegar. It didn't work for me. It did work for like two other friends. Um, you know, but this is like, this is the thing that is so crazy about pregnancy. Like what happens to you and what works for you may not work for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's such an individualized, you know, I think we've really got to start looking at, uh, we can't look at this experience as just like a one size fits all kind of thing, like both from your care team, all the way to how you actually manage and treat your symptoms. Um, it's just so particular, like all three of my pregnancies were actually quite different. Uh, the first two were pretty similar, but the third was like nothing like those two. So, um, it's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get some, next time I do that, I'm going to keep some of that around and try it again. <laughs> we'll see if it it's, works. it's funny. Some <laughs> of those old vibes tales really work. And some, like you said, it's, it is really individual, which is the, the crazy thing about all pregnancies. You have a whole chapter called the pregnancy commandments. Um, I'm curious if you lived by any hard and fast rules while pregnant, or if it was always like sort of an adjustment depending on the day. Yeah, you know, I wanted to cram all of the kind of like, yes, I know everyone wants to know, like, should I drink coffee? Can I have a glass of wine? Whatever. Um, You know, I just wanted to put it all in one place. So if you really care about that and why, I think that's another frustrating thing. Like, I was sick of people saying, well, you can't do this. Um, But why? Why can't mm-hmm. I have a cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. Like I went to, I went to a, a coffee shop while I was pregnant and like got the stink eye from all these people what? ordering like a very reasonably sized cup. Yeah. Oh girl, I got the stink eye from all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, by the time I went to 41 and a half weeks and by the time I hit about 40, Nick and I went and had sushi. We went into this great sushi restaurant. I had omakase. I was like, come on, dude, it's time for you to make your appearance. But you wouldn't believe the reaction I got from people. Like, because I had this giant belly and they're like, what are you doing in a sushi restaurant eating sushi? Oh my God. Like, there's nothing I'm going to do to this kid at this point. Like, he's baked, man. He's overbaked. That's insane. I mean, he that's needs like, to my I, uterus. <laughs> I feel like that is like, could take up an entire chapter too, is judgment oh, when it comes to parenting. And I mean, Oh yeah. It's real people. I mean, and, and you know this too, after you have the baby, there's lots of opportunities for people to judge how you're raising them from how you feed them all the way through yes. when they get older, they're disciplined. So let's just put that out there that we don't need any more judgment, right? Yeah. No more mom shaming, no more mom shaming. And it starts in pregnancy. You'll get used to it. And then you have the kid and it gets even worse. And like mom on mom hate is real and it's, it's got to stop. Yeah. What's really got to stop. What's the worst thing that ever happened in that regard, whether you were pregnant or after you had your son? Um, you know, I think with me, most of it was well-intentioned. So I was able to kind of put it aside, but I think that, you know, you definitely get good friends and family who give you advice or do something with your baby later or want you to do something while you're pregnant where you're like, Oh my God, that is not a thing. And you realize that generationally our parents did things quite differently than we did. Um, what worked for them and, and families, uh, you know, and this is like a great lesson too, right? Cause like, we're all kind of okay. Um, you know, the way they hold them, the kinds of things they park their kids in all of that, like, that was very different, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so what is the worst thing? I mean, absolutely like one of the weirdest moments I had, I was in the, I was at the gym. I did, um, because I was writing the book, it was actually really great. I got an excuse to try everything. 
because um, I really wanted to be able to write about it from kind of a first person perspective. And so I was, I was at my gym and, um, one of the other trainers came up to me and just started rubbing my stomach. What? And it was kind of the first time that it had happened. Oh, like the touching of the bump. This is a very, very common thing. And I just remember thinking like, I don't really know you. And you're like touching my body in this way that I'm not, it was like, a, it was a dude. Ooh, so I was like, okay, like, thanks, like, thanks, but no thanks. And then you realize, like, you're kind of, like, public, like, the bump is kind of public property in some weird way, like, societally. Like, I, I kept thinking, like, would you do this to me if I wasn't pregnant? And I'm not weird about physical boundaries either. It just was such a strange moment. And then you get kind of protective because you're like, that's my baby. Or you're touching my baby. I don't know what's going on. So I found the whole, like, touching without asking permission thing to be quite strange at first. And then I kind of got used to it. And then I kind of had responses for people. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you say? I'm curious. Was maybe the, oh, um, I would just, you know, if I saw them coming in, I would say, oh, would you, are you, you'd like to touch my bump? And they'd like kind of back off for a second. I think like realizing that it was about to happen and then kind of taking a step backwards and just like acknowledging what was about to happen makes people think about it. But like, you know, it definitely happened a lot with older people. This That one isolated incident was, was um, you know, kind of the, the first and only time that happened because I, I learned to see it coming. So, um, yeah, but I think just kind of acknowledging like, oh, you're about to touch my body. Yeah, that, I mean, would like. Would you like to ask? It sounds so <laughs> weird because to hear you say that, you're like, oh, my God, I would like literally have a physical response to that. But for some reason, when you're pregnant in the public domain and out and about around other people, there's something that really draws people to that. It really is a special yes. thing to see. And I think people just get so excited, but I think that's a great approach. Like it is because it's not overly, you know, aggressive at all. It's, but it's just making them reconsider, Oh, you're about to put your hands on my body. Maybe we rethink this because this is kind of strange. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you don't want to be mean because it's always so well-intentioned, sure. you know, sure. it's never like anyone wants to do harm to you. It's like, they think it's good luck or they would just want to feel it or whatever. But you know, but again, like it's, it's all part of this, uh, you know, this huge transition you go through personally and physically that is just kind of on display for everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's very strange. So what products or rituals or things did you do to pamper yourself while pregnant? Cause you have mentioned, and I know I have this experience too. There comes a time when you just, you just get physically uncomfortable. So what did you do to keep yourself comfortable and happy as your body was changing? <laughs> So I have always been a huge fan of baths. Uh, so I took a bath pretty much every night that I could. Um, Epsom salts were great. They really helped kind of, you know, at least give me the placebo effect of feeling like, you know, my body was draining itself of all of the, all of the fluids and all of the things that had accumulated during the day. Um, so I took baths constantly. I love a good Korean sheet mask. Uh, those were great because they just made me feel good. I also, uh, frankly, just like the act of putting moisturizer on my body and my legs and just like rubbing it in just like a really nice creamy moisturizer and, you know, flushing out my legs, like flushing my lymph out a bit mm -hmm. was really, really nice. And it's like a thing that, you know, doesn't cost much. And it's just a thing you can do like after you get out of the shower, uh, was great. Um, foam rolling was another one. It kept my muscles, uh, you know, loose and kept the tissue quality pretty good. 
I think it really helped me not have like a lot of back pain. Um, you know, I stayed, I mean, I, I did CrossFit style stuff until I was 41 weeks. What? I That's obviously insane. had to modify a lot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You yeah. have to well, eliminate squats like, at some was, point, right? Like anything that like had you uh, going too low, right? <laughs> well, so I couldn't, you know, squats are actually great to do up until the time you give birth. So I couldn't do like, yeah, they are. There, I wouldn't do like weighted squats. It was like air squats. Oh, okay. Let's Got be clear. It. Okay. I wasn't like I wasn't like pumping iron here or doing any. Um, I think CrossFit kind of gets a bad rap. There are a lot of movements that you can do, uh, modified things, where you know it doesn't put pressure on your on your belly. But like squats are great. Um, there are certain ab exercises that are great. So I kept. Um, let's just for for the sake of you know simplicity, call it like strength training. I actually continued to do strength training and Pilates until I gave birth basically. Cause I was at like 41 and three when I, when I finally gave birth, but it kept me sane. It kept me moving. Um, it was great, but that was like, that was my kind of coping mechanism for, cause you know, remember I was, I was pregnant for like five, six weeks, miscarried, got pregnant again two weeks later, didn't know oh, that I could get pregnant wow. that quickly. And then, you know, was pregnant for about, um, 12 weeks, 12 or 14, the second time. And then had a two month break and then I was pregnant again. So like, I didn't have a lot of time to like recover or enjoy not being pregnant or get off of the hormonal roller coaster. So really like even just taking walks, staying kind of up on my feet, even on days when I really didn't want to. Um, and there were tons of those days. Um, I always kind of felt better after I did whatever the activity was. And so I just kept doing it. Um, I would just drag myself outside, even if it was a walk around the block. And then I'd say, you know, that was, that was worth it. Wasn't that mm -hmm. fun while I was doing it, but I feel better. Yeah, I will say, and I, I've talked about this before too. You can have tremendously different experiences, like you said, pregnancy to pregnancy. And, and I found that I, I did things a little differently with all three of mine, but I have to like, just totally agree with you when you say that remaining active there's something about it that like, maybe it's just completely mental, but my body did feel more resilient as well. Like in the postpartum period, I feel like it did something to really boost my energy yep. and keep me stronger. So I know that's like super annoying to hear because people are like, Oh my God, like I'm ready to throw up. I don't really want to be told to go work out, yep. but it does really help. So I love hearing other, other moms say that because I think that that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. So what? Yeah. And I mean, plan? look, like I had horrible, Oh, well, uh, I think we've got to eliminate the word plan from our vocabulary <laughs> and just consider it preferences because there yes. is no planning for birth. You can plan all day long and it doesn't matter. Um, I think, listen, the best thing you can do with birth is go into it with a set of desires and things you would like to do. Um, these can be everything from, you know, having a doula or a midwife um, at your birth. Um, you know, non-medicated pain management options, um, you know, they're your own hospital gown, if you want that, you know, your own clothes, a, a yoga ball going in the tub. But in the end, you do not have control over how that birth is going to go. Mm -hmm. um, all you have control over is your attitude and, you know, calibrating your expectations properly. So, um, you know, I have a whole in the, in the book, it was a, it was an interesting thing. So I worked with a doula team, um, to develop my own, my own birth preferences. 
but you know, I kind of based it off of what we did and then a number of other um, folks that I interviewed. I, I interviewed over 20 people for this book, by the way. This is not just my opinion. It's, uh, you know, doulas, acupuncturists, therapists, uh, you know, midwives, OBs, lactation consultants, like the whole kitchen sink. Uh, of of people, which I think is uh, another really important thing. Like we don't have to have this one size fits all approach to pregnancy care. Um, and the same goes for, for childbirth. So, you know, uh, when you start to ask yourself questions about, you know, what you might want, if you know, you do want an epidural, if you know, you don't want an epidural. If you think you'd like to consider, you know, like most of the time you labor at home for quite a while before you ever go to the hospital you know, think about what you might want around you at that point. And I think that's where I had some fun personally. And actually, even just in writing this, you know, you might not be able to control what's going on with your body, but you can certainly control uh, if you're listening to music, if you maybe have aromatherapy around, if you want to do it in your own clothes, you know, things like this that make it feel, even if you do end up at the hospital or when you end up at the hospital, which most people, you know, over 98% of all births in the U.S. are in the hospital. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, more than likely that is where you will end up. There are things you can do to really make it feel, um, feel more like home. So I think that's another, uh, another thing that I, I'm a huge advocate for. I even had music during my C-section, which was great. Um, my, my team of doctors was like very on board with it and, you know, it gave me something to focus on. And then actually even, you know, the aromatherapy stuff, which sounds silly, except that there's some evidence that shows that, you know, it not only helps you relax, but it also is great for the nurses, uh, the nurses. And I can say anecdotally that, you know, our room was definitely the most popular one on the floor uh, because the nurses would come in and they would just feel relaxed. It didn't smell like a hospital anymore. It smelled like lavender. So um, I think when you're you, when you're calibrating your birth preferences, really what you ought to do is think hard about, you know, what you would want in an ideal world, but maintain flexibility because odds are it is not going to go exactly the way you planned. Mm, yeah, I mean, I well, yeah, it didn't for me. I know that reading your experience <laughs> with a C-section, I was a 34 hours of labor emergency C-section mom as well for my first son or for my first child, my son. And um, so much of what you said about accepting the reality of your birth really resonated. It's a topic that I found that a lot of C-section moms deal with. I went through a period of mourning, not having the birth that I envisioned. Whether or not that's okay to say, it's true. I feel, it, it, I don't feel like a failure now at all. In fact, I feel like that was the moment where I was mentally strongest because I accepted something that wasn't going to yep. plan. I want to know in the course of talking to all of the experts that you interviewed for this book, if this is starting to become a topic that professionals are addressing as well, because there are many moms in our position who have a birth that does not go to plan. Is that something that you think the medical community and the sort of like childcare providing community is starting to address? I, you know, I do, uh, but not enough. And I also think it's not really, so there's no question that there are too many C-sections, but also C-sections happen for a reason often. Um, there are definitely the cases where like, you know, someone has a round of golf or there's, you know, some time constraint or we've gone over the 12 hours of labor or whatever. There are also situations, I don't know what happened in yours, but like my son got stuck 
And had it not been for a C-section, we both would have died. I mean, it's like, there's, there's no two ways about it. I'm not a good VBAC candidate. I have what's called an inadequate pelvis. So, which is like yet another term in the, in this journey that's like, come it's on, the worst. It's, it's up right up I'm there a geriatric, geriatric pregnancy. pregnancy. Yes. Oh my God. Ugh. I was like, can oh you just God. pass me my like, walker? Seriously? Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not that old. Like, can we just, can we reframe this somehow? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, there are so many parts of this journey that, you know, when your, when your birth doesn't go according to plan, when breastfeeding doesn't go according to plan, like these are causes of postpartum depression, but I don't actually think it's the medical community that's perpetuating this idea of failure. I think it's within the community of moms. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, it's also like practitioners and this narrative about, I'm just going to go for it. This narrative about natural versus not natural, which I take huge issue with, because I think if you grow a baby in your body and you give birth by belly or by vagina, it doesn't matter. You've given birth naturally. I think it's so um, insulting to women who did not have something go their way to say, oh, you didn't give birth naturally. Like, did, was there an artificial uterus involved or something? Right. Like, I, I don't. It's just, um, I think it's so destructive. And especially when you trace back the roots of this whole, you know, natural childbirth movement, and you see that it started with a man who basically didn't believe that labor pain was real. So uh, I think we really have to start to change our language around birth and around choices because, you know, in the same way, like, I don't think getting an epidural means you didn't give birth naturally. <laughs> like, I just don't understand why this term, um, which so many people take so much stock in, um, it's just so judgmental. And it's so, uh, it causes so many issues and so much heartbreak for, for women who just, you know, I didn't get an epidural for a long time. I was, I did it uh, with a nitrous mask for like 12 hours. And I had to get an epidural because it was the step on the way to, to before I had to get a C-section. We just wanted to see if everything would, would open up. But I think, you know, I had to, I had to accept everything that happened to me. And I look at my C-section scar now and I feel so proud. Mm -hmm. I feel so proud that I carried my son and I gave birth and like, would I have rather it been a vaginal birth? Sure. But you know what? Like he's healthy and happy and thriving. And I see that scar and I think I earned it. I've yep. earned every bit of it. Yeah. And, and like you said, the tremendous um, willpower it takes to mentally get over what society has told us is successful or not, that in and of itself is an achievement. So I'm right there with you. And I love yes. to, I love when other moms share their experiences because I feel like that can, can make us feel a little stronger. You cover the fourth trimester um, pretty extensively in your book too, which is a topic, which is a phrase I should say, that's, that's gaining a lot of popularity. And for good reason, um, it explains that, you know, period of several months after the baby's birth, when mom and baby are both kind of getting used to their new world. Um, so <laughs> what is your, what did you want to address most? What was the topic of concern or issue that you really wanted to dive into when talking about the fourth trimester? Well, I'll tell you, even before the fourth trimester starts, I wanted to address the fact that we do so much planning for birth. And I kind of, I, I analogize it to a wedding, right? You do so much preparation for this like one day or two days in many of our cases, or maybe even three, that you forget that there's a whole life or a whole marriage uh, after that to deal with. So I think we do a lot of a lot of legwork when it comes to 
this is how I would like my birth to go. I've gone to birth class. I've done this. I've done that. But we really don't do a lot of planning for what comes after birth. What is my child here going to be? What kind of support do I want in those early days? You know, um, so really, I wanted to address thinking about you and your body uh, as something to plan for, because as you know, having done it three times, those first days after birth are rough no matter how your birth went. Mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And I think we, you know, back when we, we had multi-generational households, we saw the after effects of birth. So it wasn't so surprising. But I think because, you know, our version of talking about, uh, you know, the afterbirth recovery now is like Instagram influencers with their abs and their babies on a beach. Like, I don't think that we talk about uh, the hard parts, which include but are not limited to, you know, uh, horrendous night sweats or um, literally soaking your sheets, like soaking your sheets. I lost 20 pounds of fluid in three days. What? By the way. That's insane. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, and by the way, caveat, and I threw this in the book a bunch of times, I only weighed myself for purposes of writing this book. I do not recommend weighing yourself when you get back from the hospital. I did it so I could chime in for this exact reason. I weighed the same thing when I got home as I did when I left for the hospital. Three days later, I had lost 20 pounds of fluid, like overnight, soaking the sheets. Because I was on some medications during my C-section that made me, I had crazy edema. But anyway, no, there's nothing rational about weight loss after pregnancy, period, full stop. So let's all put the scales away for a while and stop worrying about it because there's nothing, it's, it's nuts. It's just crazy. Um, but things like that, like I, no one told me about night sweats. No one told me I was going to have to change my sheets every day or like sleep on a towel. Um, Loki at like all of the bleeding and all of the craziness I'd heard about the pads in the hospital. And I was like, okay, whatever pads in the hospital. And then I was like, oh my God, like you have your period for like weeks and weeks and mm -hmm. weeks and it just doesn't stop. Um, you know, and then <clears throat> the hormonal shifts too. It's very common to have a dip about four days after birth where you get kind of sad. I definitely went through that, um, you know, and just kind of all the ups and downs and like breastfeeding and like managing your boobs, like, oh my God, if I had a, you know, all this lanolin I'm going through. So I think that, you know, really making sure like all of the focus in those early days is it's on the baby. It's all on the baby. But I think we also have to take care of moms. I think we have to start saying, listen, like you're a better mom if you also take care of yourself. Um, this complete martyring, self-sacrificing uh, thing we have going on is just not healthy. And I think it's because we feel like we can't ask for help. It somehow makes us less than uh, as a mother. And I think it makes you more than because, you know, I like my husband was changing diapers. I didn't do everything. He had to change diapers. We had to supplement with formula because my breast milk production was terrible. Um, I let him give uh, our son those bottles. I didn't, you know, I had no problem with it. It's like, please give him the bottles. My C-section scar hurts, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's, you know, asking for help, accepting help, carving out a little bit of your, you know, of your budget to buy a couple things for yourself to help you heal afterwards and really thinking hard about that and accepting the help of other people, whether it's friends who want to drop off food, whether it's a family member who wants to help out for a few hours a day, whatever it is, figure out what feels right for you and your partner and just say yes, because 
it's really hard, even with just one kid. Like, I know it's only the, like, you have three. Oh, my God. Well, I think it gets easier because you know what to expect. Yeah, it, does. it really does. Like, I mean, my third one is pretty much raising herself at this point. I'm like, I'm going to check on you guys in a half hour. Take care of your little sister. <laughs> it, it, it does. I mean, and, and for all the reasons you just hit on, I mean, the growth that I think we go through in the process of built bringing a person into this world isn't just exclusively for the person we are having and bringing into the world. It's for us. And as we become mature mothers and sure in our, in our decisions and in our steps and you know, everything that we're doing, it just becomes so much easier. So I, I we joke now, I mean, we're not going to have more, but um, I was like, well, what would I, if, at this point, uh, what difference would a fourth make? I mean, I, I'm just so, I don't care about anything. I'm like, are they fed? Are they breathing? Great. That's all we care about. But, but you know, I mean, and, and, and that's what I love about your book though. It really, I mean, it, it brings to light the fact that this is a multidimensional experience. It's not just, okay, you have a baby. And then when the baby's here, you're the same person, everything changes. And like you said, every person's experience is different. So it's so good to hear from, you know, I know that you interviewed people in different sort of categories in, in every chapter. And it's really great. You can tell that you've done that because there's different viewpoints represented, which I think is just totally necessary. Thank you. Um, that was the goal. Yeah, it's great. I mean, there, there's a, there are books out there that are one person, what um, point of view experiences. And those are great too, because it's really great and interesting to see how people experience this. But I love the journalist in me loves that you consulted with so many different viewpoints and levels of expertise before putting this out because it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's, a, there's a subtitle of one of your chapters that I love. It's called screw getting your old body back. Can you, can you elaborate on that for me? Because that's like a whole other discussion, I feel like. Yeah. And I think we touched on this a little bit, you know, I mean, one of the biggest struggles for most women is that guess what? You're probably going to weigh more at this point, uh, you know, by the end of your pregnancy than you ever have in your life. Like that's the case for, for a lot of women. And it's a huge, it's, like it messes with your mind because you're like, who is this person? When I, when I look in the mirror um, and we have this huge, we have this just obsession with reclaiming your old body. And I think it's such the wrong conversation to be having because guess what? Your body is never going to be exactly the same again. It might be close. It might resemble your old body. It might even be better than your old body. Um, and this is where I am now. Um, I'm, so proud of my body for doing what it did. Um, is it the same? No. Is my rib cage still slightly bigger than it used to be? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think we have to change this narrative of like, you know, get getting your body back because it's not the same body anymore. This body, the new body, it gave birth. It grew a human. There's a lot of stuff to love about this body. And, you know, frankly, there are so many things that you can do um, both during pregnancy and afterwards to, you know, celebrate it and to get strong again, uh, I think we should focus more on that. I think we should focus on celebrating the fact that, you know, you, you are a different person, your body reflects that. And so I'd really like to see, you know, and I'm I'm seeing it more on social media now. I think that there is uh, a movement towards a more authentic conversation about uh, in this area, but nothing frustrates me more than seeing Photoshopped pictures on Instagram 
of women who gave birth like three weeks ago. And, you know, having that be the example to people like, guess what, people? It's Photoshop. It's personal trainers. And it's also sucking in. Right. Let's be honest. It's not a thing. So I think we really have to just. I, I feel stronger now, like six and a half months postpartum than I ever did before pregnancy, because I have been very deliberate. I have connected with my body. I have done exercises that require me to just focus rather than just like banging out a session on the treadmill or like whatever it is. Um, you know, I focus more on form. I focus on like body weight things that I can just do at home that are free. Um, but I feel stronger now than I ever have. And I think that's something to celebrate. Do I look exactly the same as I did pre-pregnancy? No, but guess what? I love it. I'm into it. Yeah. I was in a bathing suit for the first time last weekend around a bunch of people. And like, I felt so proud of myself. I didn't look the same, but you know what? I was really proud of that body. So I would encourage everyone to try to flip your, flip the script on this a bit and, um, you know, and be proud because it's a big accomplishment. It's an amazing thing. I totally, totally agree. I just did, um, a post on this on my blog a little while ago. I think it's, again, everybody's got a different take. My take is it's okay to care, but it can't take over. You you know, it's, there's a, there's a difference between, like you said, self-care working out because that's what makes you feel good. And then working out or striving to be something that you see somewhere else. If anything, motherhood teaches us more firmly to live in our bodies and our own existence than ever before. And that's like the thing, you know, you can't get away from, like you said, the C-section scar or the change, the subtle changes of your, you know, your silhouette or things that have changed the way your body responds to things. Those things are going to stick around. But, um, I loved, you know, I, I love that hearing or seeing that written out, screw getting your old body back just made me laugh out loud because I'm just like, yes. <laughs> um, well, and I'll, one, one quick condition actually. So there are a lot of people don't know about this, but I wanted to briefly mention uh, diastasis, diastasis recti, which is um, the ab splitting. It turns out you can actually rehab that pretty easily with pelvic floor therapy. So if you have had a baby and you still have, um, you know, a split in your abs, or you perhaps you haven't had your baby yet, um, see a pelvic floor therapist. There's a, there's a chapter in my book about it. Uh, there are exercises that you can do at home. If it's serious, um, you definitely need to get in to see someone. Insurance will cover it. If you have insurance, uh, it's just a copay. But that makes such a big difference. I found my pelvic floor therapy work really helped um, both. I didn't experience incontinence after birth. Um, I was in labor for a long time. He had descended pretty far down there. So there was a lot of pressure on all of my organs and everything. Um, But uh, I did not experience that stuff. And I made time and took time to do pelvic floor therapy to ensure that I didn't have any of that ab splitting. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to look into if you've struggled with it and you don't know why your abs don't look the same. Diastasis recti, pelvic floor therapy, do it. Love it. Love these specific tips. Okay. So one final question before we let you go. Um, so one big, I guess, nugget or takeaway that you can give to somebody. I know that there are moms listening who, like I said, are all sort of over the spectrum. Some are trying to conceive, some are just getting pregnant for the first time. Some have just given birth, anything that someone has ever told you, or even a resource that they pointed you toward as far as um, parenting or motherhood that really helped to save your life. You know, I think first and foremost is everything we've been talking about around acceptance, that you're not in control, that 
there's a lot you can do to prepare, but in the end, it's not up to you. Um, you've got to just do the best you can. And I think that was, that was a thing that was very hard for me. Um, because I'm like pretty type A and I, you know, like to get to the bottom of everything, which like you've already read my book, so you can tell I tried to just cover everything. Um, but, you know, I think doing the best I could, not beating myself up for something going wrong that I couldn't control, not beating myself up for eating a piece of pizza or having like a cookie, I don't know, every day the last two weeks I was pregnant, you know, um, just accepting that there's, there's, you can do everything quote unquote right. And it still might not go your way. And then also, like, we're not meant to do this by ourselves. This idea that one person can care for this other tiny human all by themselves with no, you know, input or help from a partner or a friend or a family member or a caregiver that you hire. I think if, if anything, this time of life is all about realizing, like, this always took a village. We live in a very strange time right now. Um, if you trace back the origins of childbirth and child rearing. Um, but I think it's really to to just accept. So in terms of resources, look around you. You have people in your life that have done it before, uh, that love you, that are there for you. And it's a matter of being open when you struggle, asking for help when you need help, and accepting it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be really, really hard because we we tell ourselves we should be able to do it all, have it all, be it all. It's like total bullshit. You can't have it all and be it all. You've mm -hmm. got to, you've got to accept help. So that is my wish for, for other moms, like be nice to each other. Don't right. judge. Don't be rude. <laughs> don't call out someone walking down the street who like might not be using their infant carrier the right way. Like unless the baby is actually like in trouble. I mean, just like give each other a break. It's right. really hard. And uh, we're like each other's best advocates. So I think that that's, you know, that's what I want. Well, your book is so well done, Leslie. I really appreciate you talking with me. I doubly appreciate you bearing with the 35 technical difficulties it took to get, that's not an exaggeration, <laughs> to get this interview done. So truly, thank you for your patience. And let everybody know where they can pick up a copy of Bumpin'. Yeah, so um, you can visit bumpin.com, actually, or um, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieWire. It's in a bunch of bookstores. Um, Amazon's probably the easy one, but, um, yeah. And if you have questions or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on my website, uh, or find me at, uh, Leslie Jay-Z on Twitter or Instagram. You are the best. Leslie, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I had so much fun with Leslie and God love her. She really stuck it out through like the 50 technical difficulties I had in getting that interview going. <laughs> ah, um, anyway, she was so fun to talk to. And as you heard, full of great advice and practical tips. And really, that is just part of what you'll get if you pick up Bumpin'. It is available wherever books are sold. Check it out on Amazon. Check it out at your favorite bookseller. And tell a friend. This is like a girlfriend talking to you. This book is so um, approachable and so fun, but it is also full of great information. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of 30-something. Our community is growing here, and I'm so happy about it. Um, if you guys get a chance, I would be so grateful if you would take the time to leave a rating and review. I know it doesn't seem like much, but those little things help this podcast 
to get to the people who might enjoy it or find it useful. So if you have a minute to do that, I would be so grateful. Um, And shoot me a DM on Instagram if you do. I always love connecting with people who leave a rating and a review. I am known to drop a goodie or two in the mail for people who um, take the time to show their love. So thank you guys for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at SunnyAbata, S-O-N-N-I. A-B-A-T-T-A for more daily tips and stories and sunny.me is the blog where I update um, weekly with more beauty and motherhood tips and all kinds of fun stuff. Thank you guys again for listening to this episode of 30 Something. I will see you next time with more goodness. Bye guys. Bye guys.